Fuel, the podcast for fixing underperformance and evolving leadership within the automotive industry. Fuel is bringing you the latest in proven strategies and techniques that can take your service department to the next level. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Alex Keith, and today I've got Mr. David Long with me. How you doing, David? I'm doing great. Good to see you. Good to see you too, brother. Thank you so much for coming on. So from my understanding, you, you handle a little bit of business with the Hansel Group, don't you? Yeah, I, I come in here and do a thing or two from time to time. <laughs> so if you don't mind, like, go ahead and state for us what exactly you do. So my official role is I'm the executive general manager for the Hansel Automotive Company. Uh, we own eight dealerships and I run half the company. Yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like anything hard to do. Not with the people we have here, it's not. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's fantastic. How long have you been doing that? Here, I've been here um, in my fourth year, soon nice. to be five. Well, a little over four years, yeah. But I've been doing this industry for probably longer than you are old, which is <laughs> 38 years. It's exactly how old I am. That's perfect. There you go. So you're <laughs> just coming to be, and I was just um, detailing my first car. <laughs> Well, and that's a that's perfect because one of the things I love to do on the show now is give you a platform to, to kind of tell us how you how you got started in the business, like what drew you to automotive, and then kind of if if you could give us a little bit of a timeline of of how you became the executive GM, you know, how did you get to this spot? So you said you started off like what detailing vehicles? Yes, sir. So, so what when did you start that? I've never really had an interest in cars, nor do I <laughs> have an interest in cars now. Um, really not interested in them, don't know a lot about them, and they don't excite me very much. And people say to me, then why on earth are you in the car business? And then my canned response is, I'm not. I'm in the people business. Yeah. We just happen to have cars that we fix and repair and sell parts and, and vehicles. But I just love people. So what better way to be around an awful lot of people than to run a big company? I can't think of one. So that's why I got excited about the car business. But it started when you were born. And I was in detail. And I realized very quickly that being in detail was not a job for a soft guy like me. It's a hard job, man. Getting in and out of cars when it's 105 degrees outside and 130 degrees inside a car. It's no joke. So I did that for about a year. And managed to get into sales and the rest is history. I'm telling you when I first started out in the detail part too, I, I made the mistake of telling, asking my dad, I want to go to work with you today. And he was, he's been an FOD for 40 plus years and finally retired. But I remember getting there. I didn't realize how bad your hands will hurt with dealing with all the, the chemicals and the water and everything and trying to get in the nooks and crannies. And it was so funny. I came home and I was like, Hey mom, my hands are killing me. And he's like, just get used to it. This is just the first day. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't take long to get used to it, but I don't, I don't know. It never gets easy. That's for sure. Now here. So after, so you, you do the detail and then, and then what's the progression after that? I mean, like what, like what led you down the path of becoming an executive general manager? Hmm. Gosh, I, this is the part why I, I hate talking about myself. So sold cars for quite a few years, managed to do uh, pretty well, uh, accumulated enough wealth that I was able to eventually buy a dealership, 
bought that dealership, sold it in 2000 and, oh, I don't know. I don't even, can't even remember now, 2007, right before things got ugly. Mm -hmm. um, and then went and ran a dealer group and then went and ran another dealer group. And here I am. That's nice. Ta-da! Ta-da! Bazinga. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. An overnight success. Overnight success. I mean, I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express, so we're good to go. <laughs> Well, see, I like I like how you kind of have, have set this up. You know, you said you you got into this for the people business, right? And then you said you sold your dealership, but right before things got tough. So now here we are. After things have gotten tough, we had that bad uh, batch of of the COVID deal where people are, you know, we don't know what we're doing. We're trying to refigure out how the business is going. So I think one of the biggest questions and something I, I would love to hear, and, and hopefully my listeners do too, is how do you see the change of the people business from around the late two thousands to kind of where we're at now, as far as your interaction and how you're managing to, to the people business. Well, that's a, that's a really interesting question. How have the people changed? Is that no, correct? Well, not how the people changed so much or how, how are you involved more? Like how has it changed? Right. So you had a certain way you just, you worked with the people, right? In the people business when you yeah. first got in and in the late 2000s. And then with some of the changes in technology and how we communicate with customers and then just the overall perception we give to customers now, like, like what do you feel are the biggest takeaways of what you do now versus what you were doing then? You know, I think that's probably the foundational keys to my success. Um, the technology has allowed me to do more faster and be able to be more engaged, right? Where I used to have to go and get the sundial and the abacus <laughs> and spend four hours with my attention deficit disorder to try to figure out where we are. Now I, boop, I press a button and I have everything I need. I have return on time. I have performance and production numbers. Like it makes it easier for me not to be staring at a screen but to be in front of people, right? So I think that's the biggest change. I still think people need, they definitely need leadership mm -hmm. and I believe they need to feel connected. And if I'm in here staring at my computer screen all day, they're not gonna see me leading and they're certainly not gonna feel connected. They can't feel connected through emails, you know? Yes. So how much that's time do you spend, like, so let's say you push your button, you get your, your stuff, but then let's switch, switch over to the face-to-face -face action, right? How much time do you spend in that face-to-face -face, face -face action with your customers and your employees? Not enough. Not enough? Uh, no, I'll be my biggest critic and I'll be harder on myself than anybody could ever be on me, but I don't believe anybody, I think inherently people always need more. And no matter what I give or how much I pour in, it still feels like it's never enough. So if you're asking me if I do enough, my answer is absolutely not. What's the bare minimum? Huh. Well, that's the interesting thing. So I have a philosophy that everybody has an emotional pool. Mm -hmm. The only problem is everybody has a hole in the bottom of it. <laughs> And some people's holes are really big, really big, and they need their emotional pool filled up more often, more frequently mm -hmm. and faster. And some people like me, that's the youngest of eight that grew up in a Marine family. Like, I don't, 
you don't need to come fill up my pool. You just show me where the pool is. I'll figure it out. I'll figure out how to fill it myself. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people today, I mean, I think that's what this is, mm -hmm. right? Dopamine hits and looking for social and looking at all the stuff. I think ultimately that's people trying to find, meet their needs, meet their emotional needs. So my job is to pay attention to what's not being said. My job is to listen to what people are saying with their body language and then address it accordingly. So how, how do you lead to those, to your team, I guess you could say, like to your management team and to, to the people that you're promoting to be leaders? How do you lead in the, in the art of listening and, and picking up on those cues? Oh, I'm terrible. I'm a terrible listener. Just ask my <laughs> wife. Um, but I can hear what's not being said more than I can hear what is being said. You know what I mean by that? No, dive into that a little bit further. It sounds really good, but, but dive into that further. So I don't know if it's a function of being the youngest of eight or have an alcoholic parent. I don't know what it is. I don't even care really, but I can see somebody out of the corner of my eye and know they're in a good head space or they're in a bad head space. They're emotionally connected or they're not. They showed up to work to work or they showed up to work to avoid whatever else was going on in their life. Like it's just one of those senses that I have. And so I, you can hear people all day long say, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. But then their body language says they're out, they're out, they're out. It's the body language that needs addressed, not the words. So what do, you, what do you do when you see, if you're talking to your managers and let's say they've got advisors coming in or let's say they even got customers coming in and they can, you, hey, here we go. You're getting ready to see some sparks happen or something. We can already tell that they're not in the right mindset or they're not in the right body language aspect of it. Is there a redirect to help fill the emotional pool? I think there always has to be. So well, how do you yeah. train to that? Sometimes I see us walking by, I'll, I'll think to myself, she's going to say something. She's going to, oh, I know she's going to say, she didn't say anything, <laughs> right? Or I'll see a manager walk by an employee or a customer and you can see that that employee or that customer needs a connection, mm -hmm. right? They, they kind of have their like, umbilical cord sticking out they need to plug it into someone yeah someone walks right by them um i think in the moment very quickly very i call it kind candor can say are you okay you mm. know generally you would have connected with that person i noticed that you looked away is everything okay in your life and don't get me wrong i'm not a compassionate feelings hold your hand coddle you tell you it's going to be our right leader i'm not I hold very high standards. I have high expectations of myself and everybody around me. Um, but there is a piece of that that needs to be done all the time, every day. Yeah. So if you go from that aspect of it to how we're communicating to your customers, right? In the technology age, how do you get that connection? How do you start that connection as far as like getting people in your door and then having that experience in your lane, actually talking and interacting with your team. I think the best way to mic somebody up, do you know what mm -hmm. I mean by mic them up? No, go into that, please. Yeah. So if I could, if you were the person that I was paying to treat my customers like millionaires mm -hmm. and I could put a microphone on you and listen to what you were saying so that I could guide you and coach you, some people would think that would be crazy. 
I think we should we can do that every day by looking at our electronic conversations. And, and here's what I'm saying is, if I go into my CRM right now and I see a customer email and then I see our reply, you can tell if the person that read the email and replied to it is connected to what the customer is asking about or if they're just replying to satisfy a task. And all too often in this industry, the customer will say, I need to come to the collision center because I just totaled my car. And we'll say, we can get you in in a week. Not, is everybody okay? Ah, I see what you're saying. Do you need yeah. alternate transportation? Gosh, I hope nobody was hurt. You know, did you need a, di a different car seat because there was there a car seat in the car? Whatever it is, I just, I see we're all too busy to slow down to make that connection. So when I say being mic'd up, I purposely every Wednesday morning have somebody drag me through like broken glass, <laughs> all the electronic communication for the week. Now, I don't I can't get through all of it because I got multiple rooftops. Yeah. My performance manager for Vin Solutions will take me through and say, here's a job well done. Here's a job that you might want to pay attention to. Here's somebody that you need to coach. And we'll go through all of the conversations just as if I had a microphone and could hear them, how they're communicating with my customers. Because I think that's where the most valuable opportunities for improvement lie. Because if they're saying it in an email or a text message, you know they're saying it out on the lot or on the service drive. Mm -hmm. The same exact thing's happening. So why not address it when you see it? So I believe that to be very, very effective. See, that's very interesting. I, I can honestly say I would have never thought like it's i'm always the like you said the visual cue kind of person like i'm out there on the lane watching what they do and how they interact i never would have taken the time to to do that to do that mic'd up process of you know are you just checking a box and replying to an email to satisfy what the email's saying are you are you these are people too you know we're all people in this industry and it is in a sense, a community-based industry still, you know, yeah. we have the localized markets and the localized people. And one of the things um, I was talking to a, a gentleman in a, in a coaching call the other day, and we were talking about that. And I was like, you know, here, we're building a decline report, but but this is where your team can, can reach out and talk to these people on declines and say, hey, listen, you know, for, especially for diagnostic declines, you know, as part of the community, we just want to make sure you've been taken care of. And if not, mm -hmm. we'd love to get your business back here and work with you and get you and get you, you know, safe on the road. So that's, I, that's a, I mean, David, I, that's fantastic. And you, and you go through how many electronic communications? She'll drag me through that broken glass for at least an hour on every Ooh. Wednesday morning for the last three years. So, and how many communications do you go through within that hour? You think? You know, it, it all depends on what we're finding. It's a lot. It's enough to make me not want to eat breakfast. Because <laughs> I do that at 6 a.m. Yeah. And the, the same is true if I'm listening to incoming phone calls. How much empathy do we have in our voice? Car doesn't start. Are we thinking that that customer might have two kids that need to get to soccer? Are we thinking that that customer might need to get to work and they're on their last pip? performance improvement plan and this could cost them their actual job mm -hmm. like do we have that amount of social awareness and empathy when we're talking to people it's not just about them bringing in their car it's about how that disrupts their life and do we have any level of empathy in the way we address it i think that makes all the difference in the world 
Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm, you're hitting the nail right on the head. I, I love when I call dealerships and they, they don't, they actually act offended when I ask them what their name is. And, and what's your, and what's you your name? You call in? Yeah. And they, you ask the dealership what their name is? Yeah. I'll, I'll call into a store to, to, to communicate with you. If I'm calling your store and I'll say, you know, whatever store, ABC Motors, you know, how may I assist you? I'm like, hey, how you doing today? And then they stop and it throws them off kilter and they're like, I'm fine. How are you? I'm like, I'm great. And I was like, my name's Alex. Um, I said, I, you know, Alex Keith, I'm, I'm looking to get in touch with David today. What, what's your name? And it's all oh, my name's such and such or whatever. And be honest with you, it, it, in some cases it, it throws them off. But then at the end of the conversation, that one little, like you said, taking a moment to be humans, it, you can hear it brighten up their day. They laugh a little bit or, oh, you have a great day. And, and that kind of stuff. And sometimes, especially when I was dealing with hot case customers in, in the lane, it just take a minute. How you doing today? Is anything else going on that I can, that I can, we can talk about? I'm here to talk about my vehicle. That's great. That's great. But, you know, and then just kind of make that connection. But this is. How much does that cost you, Alex? It costs uh, you nothing, right? It costs me absolutely nothing. You think the customer or the, per the person, the employee feels better when they hang up with you or worse? I think they feel a touch better. It might even change the whole day. So when I go out and I'm with my grown kids, 18 and 23 or 28 year old, mm -hmm. we'll go into a place and I'll be like, dad, can you please not talk to anybody today? <laughs> can we just go in and get what we came for and leave? <laughs> I don't know. I'll try. But then of course I have to talk to the cashier or I have to, I mean, I think my responsibility on planet earth is to leave everybody and everything better than I find it. That's a good one. Doesn't make them feel better all the time because sometimes leaving somebody better than I found them means I had to have a hard conversation, right? Sometimes people think it's rainbows and butterflies. I'm going to make people feel good. I'm not an ice cream salesperson. I'm leading a large company with hundreds of employees. Those hard conversations leave them better, but not always feeling good. I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I played uh, college baseball and, and you know, played sports and stuff all my life and still went around it, still did some coaching on the side and things like that. And one of the main keys that I've always learned was is if even if a coach is being hard on you or if anybody, somebody, you know, is really pushing you at that point, it's better than them not saying anything at all. Oh, yeah. So and I coach you sports and I love coaching you sports, but I love coaching up the parents first. Coaching up the parents. <laughs> Heck yeah. The, my parent, the parents for the youth sports teams, they sign a contract. That's fantastic. Yeah, they can't, their kid can't play on my team if they're going to be an ass. <laughs> Same thing with here. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for the best team, not the best players. And when I can get the best team together, we'll play better than the best players that don't play together. And you know that from sports. Absolutely. So, I mean, that's actually, I was going to ask you, have you ever been in a situation where you've had a, a extremely strong manager, strong writer, strong individual that you, you were like, you're just not the fit. You're not the fit oh, here. Many times, mm -hmm. many, many, many times. Um, and it just doesn't make them bad and it doesn't make me right. It just makes them not a fit. Not a fit. So what do you, I mean, do you try to, to relocate within the, within your organization? Oh, no, 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 no. Got it. Uh -huh. No, if, if it's somebody that's not a team player and has too many personal pronouns and the whole world revolves around them, mm -hmm. 
I'm not going to let them throw off somebody else's axis by them becoming the new sun in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Right. So, mm-mm. no, I'll do everything I can to resurrect them from their selfish self-centeredness. But if that doesn't work, then they just need to be invited to release their talent onto the competition. So, so based in how you're communicating with your team, like the, the tough love in some cases, what kind of uh, what kind of growth do you have with personnel? Do you have like internal growth or do you, are you finding people to come in? You know, my preference is always to bring people up from inside. Mm-hmm. Which we have done many, many times. And when I, I look out here now, the fellow that I'm looking at right now, he's been here for 22 years. Wow. The gal to my left, my assistant, she's been here for eight years. Uh, a lot of the people around in any one rooftop, I've, I've got 40, 45 year employees here. So, and they've grown, you know, from lot porters to sales managers and from finance managers to GSMs. We, we move in that direction, mm-hmm. but we're going to put, we're going to field the best team that plays the best together because we need to win. Yeah. So as we, I mean, we're starting to make a, it seems like we're starting to make a shift in the technological age, you know, with the video MPIs, with some more, you know, being able to text people and communicate people more like quicker and efficiently and things like that. Are you making any adjustments or changes to, to any of the processes you do to, to start, to start taking advantage of some more technical, you know, um, you know, technologies that are out there with the videos and things like that, or is it pretty much just implementing with what you're already doing with new technology? Um, I'm not sure I understand. We sent over 2000 videos out last month. Yeah. Um, so we do a lot with videos on the sales side. We sent out 1770 customized videos with the customer's name on a whiteboard. Wow. Like that's a lot of videos. Right. It would say Alex on it. Yeah. I would introduce myself. It'd be a 45 to 60 second video introducing myself in the company. Um, so, I mean, I th- we do that better than anybody. And that, that's again, that's a hill that I was willing to die on. Like mm-hmm. if you're not willing to do video, unfortunately, there's not a job here for you. You know, not everybody likes that, especially in the market I'm in. <laughs> Well, I mean, like, did you, so did you have to build a new process when you started to do the videos as, as to the magnitude you're doing them or? Did oh yeah, you... for sure. Okay. For so, sure. so what did you change? Like what, what did you have to add or adjust to your, your process you already had to, to encompass what you're going to be doing with these videos? To incorporate video hundred percent of the time for hundred percent of the customers. Exactly. Yes. It, it took three to six months of narrative control. Here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. Here are the KPIs. Here's what happens with video. Here's what happens without video. Do you see the value? And there was a sale needed made, right? I needed to sell my managers. And then when they bought it, we together needed to sell our team. And then when they bought it, we needed to execute. But it took three to six months to get everybody saying, I can get on train. I can get, I can do that. So did you, so it wasn't rushed at all, right? No, no, <laughs> nobody was force fed. Now there were some people that were hanger-ons and they, they, they were slow to adapt, 
But you know, it's funny when people start doing it and it's and they're being coached up on how to do it, and there's no pressure about how well they did it. I mean, people get around to doing it. Mm-hmm. And it just becomes another thing, right? Mm-hmm. Just but it's not, part just of that another, it's not just another thing to do another thing. Like, we don't need to do any more things. It needs to produce, like, the WIFM. You know what that stands for? No, go through that. What's in it for me? Mm-hmm. WIFM, they, there needs to be something in it for them other than you better do it or you can't keep your job. It can't be that. So it's got to be here's the result of doing video. Here's the outcome from the activity. Because I don't want anybody to do something that just is something else to do. So you started off with defining, like you said, you went over the metrics, but you said, I'm guessing you're clearly defining why we're getting ready to do these videos. No doubt. Yeah. Here's why. Here's how. Let's talk about it. Let's do it internally. Let's get comfortable. Let's get uncomfortable, but let's be comfortable being uncomfortable. And let's just do the best we can. I really like that. Let's get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. So how much kickback did you have? I mean, like, like what were the hardest cases as far as implementing that? You know, I did have a few really hard cases from some really high performers that have been here a long time. Mm-hmm. So there were a couple, listen, this is the way we're going. I sure do want you to come along. What are you saying? <laughs> this is the way we're going. I sure do want you to come along. But if if you don't come on board, if you don't get on board, you can't come along. And I actually had somebody that reached out to the owner and the owner lets me run the business the way, you know, in direct alignment to our core principles and our values. Mm-hmm. So we get along. This is the best company I've ever worked for in my entire life. And I'm old. Um, this guy said, I'm not going to do it. So I had to invite him to leave. Hey, I don't want to leave. Well, you can't stay. Well, I'm going to call the owner. Well, let me know how that works out. Right. So he called the owner and, the owner said, what does Dave want us to do? And he said, Dave wants us all to do videos. And he said, well, we're going to all do videos then. Tell me how to do it. Right? <laughs> that's how That's how the company is. Um, I just think it's what's good for one is good for all. I see it all over the country because I have a training consulting business. And I've opened 71 buy centers, soon to be 72 next week. Oh, wow. And um, Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. The ones that get it, it's no secret. It's the ones that have the highest level of discipline with the most structure that execute on the principles the most often. It's super simple. So Sometimes it seems more complicated, but I agree with you 100%. It's really simple if you just look at the face value of it, of what you can do with it when you keep it simple. You know where the pain comes in? I've learned the pain comes in in the resistance. Yes, Right, thinking you have it all figured out and being so having so much hubris that you're not willing to adapt new ideas and and um, change when change is needed. There's still a lot of people that are perfectly suited for an industry that no longer exists. <laughs> That's a very well said. <laughs> I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. Perfectly oh. suited for it. Yeah, you're the rotary phone. Nice. <laughs> yeah, you're per- you're the best rotary phone I've ever seen. You are ideally <laughs> suited for an industry that no longer exists. You missed the memo. Yeah, you missed the memo. <laughs> I love it. 
So, I mean, well, I, I'm with you on that one because it, it seems some of the conversations I have with managers, general managers, dealer principals, everybody, when you start to talk about a change, it always comes back to, well, you can't do that here. You know, we, 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 we've never done that here. You know, this market won't allow you to do that. And it's like, oh, I'm sorry. Have you, have you already tried these things or, or done these things? And they're like, well, no, because we already know what the outcome is going to be. Well, you need to buy a lottery ticket. So the idea of getting people... I mean, I think that's probably another good question for you is, is, is getting those people to open up to a little bit more understanding of how to evolve and not to be so scared of the unknown. I mean, like, do you go tough love style with that? Or is it more of a, of a critique? Well, I've been, I'm kind of a hard ass, unfortunately. (laughs) I don't think it's victim of my environment who I don't know, but you know, let's talk about it. You get two options. You get a voice, right? Which means you get a chance to talk about it or you get a vote. If you don't give me your voice and you don't vote, then you got to execute. Mm-hmm. That's all there is to it. So I, I encourage people that, that don't see the vision, that aren't buying what's being sold to speak up, come up with a better way or get on board. So, and how successful does that work out majority of the time? Um, you know, I think it works out really well. Uh, the one thing that I would tell you is what my coach always tells me is there's two dealerships operating simultaneously. The one you think you're running and the one that's actually running. There you go. So sometimes people will say yes and do no or not get all the way to yes. It happens really often. Oh, extremely often. You can always, I didn't have time to get to it. Well, I was going to get to it. Uh, meant you to. Know, meant to, you know, something came up. You know, I just, I really could, you know, after we, it made sense to me on the call, but after the call, I started thinking about it and, you know, I'm just not ready there. So, I mean, the excuses of not doing something are, are amazing. They And they're prevalent. You know, there's uh, plenty of them. But then when you get down to the, the, the result of doing it, you know, and seeing the benefit of it, that, you know, once they get going and start seeing that result, it, it's almost a hundred percent retention of, yeah, what, what's next? What do you got next? Yeah. And then there's belief, right? But we never, I've never seen a leader get what he wants. I only see us get what we tolerate. <laughs> right. It's just. And and that's the that's the crux of leadership, I think, is that we need to have standards that we all agree to and then hold each other to those standards. And things generally go better that way. Yes. So have that hierarchy of of, of what is acceptable to a point of between what is acceptable versus what I want. Yeah. Let's let's just put our cards on the table. Here's what we're gonna do. Are you in? Or you out. If you're in, I got to see it get done. If you're out, don't tell me you're in because then it gets really uncomfortable. Yeah, really fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very quickly. So, it sure does. Family of eight, man. That's in, that's a, a marine family of eight. And you were the youngest? Oh, yeah. I bet you didn't get beat up at all. I got beat up by my sisters. <laughs> they could probably still beat me up. <laughs> Did you move around a lot? No, not a lot. Not hmm. well, a lot to some people. I grew. I was born in Ohio, 
lived in Michigan, lived in Florida, lived in North Carolina, and now I'm out here. Yeah. No, San Fran, huh? Yep. There's a beautiful weather out there, though. Oh, it's the best place on earth. I could be at my home where it's 95, drive 25 minutes, and have it be 60. <laughs> it's the craziest weather you've ever seen. That's what I feel like in North Carolina sometimes. It's 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 we're getting that cold spell coming through now, and it's been eighty upper eighties for a week, and then now all of a sudden it's in the seventies, low seventies, and forty degrees in the morning. <laughs> that kind of stuff. I love that weather. No, but it is what to do. About North Carolina. You know what we didn't talk about? What's that? I don't know if you know, but I have hundreds of vendors. Yep. I mean, they're just everywhere. I have very few partners. And Dynatron is my best partner of all the partners I have. Well, that's fantastic. Why would yeah. you say that? Why would you say, what is the biggest difference between Dynatron being a vendor versus a partner for you? Like I was texting Sharon this morning. We were texting back and forth. Like she's my performance manager for all my stores. She is my true partner. She tells me where I am, what I need to hear, even when I don't want to hear it. She tells me the hard truth. She'll give me a wake-up call. She'll, like, she's invested. If I didn't know any better, I think she owned part of the damn company. <laughs> so, she, I mean, that's the Dynatron difference. It's just having that partnership instead of being a vendor. Yeah, it's a true partnership. I've got a couple more that I love. Vin Solutions is a great partner. Viata has been a great partner. Um, Dynatron by all means is, is really ridiculously amazing. So what's one thing you would change though? There's gotta be something, like you said, we, we can only get as much as we can tolerate. What would I change about Dynatron? Yeah. Um, I'd love to see Dynatron come out once a month or at come least on. once a quarter. I'm only seeing you guys like Sharon and Maureen will come out and they'll do this amazing it's once, maybe twice a year yeah. summit for me where I get all the parts, service, any sales managers that want to learn about service, our collision center, and we'll get them all in a room and we'll just drill. And we'll just go through all of our areas of opportunity. And gosh, if we could do that once a quarter, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't want to pay any more for it, but I think, it, <laughs> but I know truthfully of all my partners, Dynatron's the best. No, we love having you. We love having your business. It's like all of our customers, you know, and, and it is. And then, and that's something that's fun for me as a coach as well is you get invested in, 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 in the relationships with these people, because ultimately for me, that's what it turns into in the conversations. You know, no doubt. it's not just the numbers. It's not just the metrics, but it, it's understanding what works for you. And then how can we establish a good relationship and culture between the conversations we're having and relate that into your store? Yeah, and you know, I think if you peel that back just a little bit more, vendors and and often oftentimes want to tell you what they think you want to hear. Partners tell you what they know you need to hear. That's right. And, and that's what goes on in my conversations with Dynatron. That doesn't really happen with a lot of other companies. Well, you picked a good one with Sharon. She's definitely going to be up front. I can tell you that. Nobody better. <laughs> no doubt. That's fantastic. Well, David, man, I really want to appreciate you for coming on today. This is going to probably wrap up another episode here. Um, any last thoughts as we start to to wrap up this episode for anybody out there for for people who are struggling 
with, you know, talking to their people or the culture that they're establishing or, or things of that nature? No, you know, I think about what I hear my buddy Brian Benstock say. It just rings in my ears because as quickly as things are changing, like you've seen things change a lot in the last five years, right? Oh, yeah. I think things in the next five years are going to change 10 times faster. Wow. I really believe that. Like if you go to my radio show, which is all things used cars on Clubhouse mm -hmm. or all things fixed ops. I mean, even that you can go to atuc.ai and you can talk to me as if I were talking to you just with artificial intelligence. You, oh, wow. All the 138 episodes that were done for all things used cars, you can go into atuc.ai and get anything that you want to know. And even in some cases in my voice. That's crazy. And like AI does all this? Yeah. So the stuff that's changing out there in these next five years is going to be ridiculous. So I think what I'd say to what, what I hear my buddy Brian saying, he said, now more than ever, we need to learn, unlearn, and then relearn everything that we need to know. So you learn it, and then it changes quickly. So you need to unlearn it, and then you need to relearn a new approach. And I think the dealers... The fixed ops directors, the service managers, the ones that are able to do that. By the way, did you know what they invented in Hickory? What's that? You know that they're the reason why they cut the ends of the ham off. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah. And after three generations, somebody finally asked, why, mom, are we cutting the end of the ham off? And mom really didn't have an answer. She just thought that was the best way to cook a ham. So then she asked her aunt that asked her grandma that looked and they cut the ham off because the oven in 1918 was so small, you couldn't get a whole ham in it. <laughs> Did not so know for that. the last 120 years in Hickory, they've been cutting off the ends of the hams because they never stopped to realize why they were doing it. That's a joke, by the way, it wasn't Hickory, but I think all too <laughs> often, that's what we do. <laughs> you were buying that, weren't you? You were oh, actually believing me. You can't put anything past Hickory, man. I live in a small town that made national news because a guy bought a storage unit, and in the storage unit, there was a severed foot in a grill. So a guy had an amputated foot in a grill, and, and it's on the internet and everything. Then they made it again because an ostrich or something got loose in downtown Maiden. <laughs> and so it's, uh, you wouldn't put it past it. I'd well, and that. that's where I read that the toothbrush was invented. The toothbrush where? In Hickory? In Hickory. In Hickory. Yeah. <laughs> why, is, why is that? Well, because it would have been invented anywhere else. It would have been called the teeth brush. <laughs> Sorry. I can't help myself. Um, We're going down a whole other route and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> So it's been good talking to you. Alex. What position did you play in baseball? I was a catcher. I was a catcher. I, I, and um, actually, I'm still lucky enough to be able to do it a little bit and uh, help some uh, major league guys out and, and catch their bullpens when they need somebody and, and things like that. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. Buddy, good for you. Yeah, I That's appreciate awesome. That. I appreciate that. Man, hopefully uh, you'll come back on the podcast again. I'd love to have you back on. You're, you're fun to talk to. Anytime, man. I'll do it. anything for Dynatron. And now that I know you, I'll do anything for you. Awesome, man. That's good to hear. I'm glad I got that ace in my hole. <laughs> you got it. And anytime you're out in uh, San Francisco, let me know. I'll give you a tour of the city. 
Absolutely, man. I got to come out there for uh, well, what was it? L.A. I think L.A. was was where he was telling me to go. But I've been wanting to catch a game in L.A. and, and to go to a Giants game too. That'd be great. Yeah, that's a good venue, actually. Oh yeah, it's a beautiful place. It's, it's like I said, gorgeous yeah, weather out there. All righty, brother. Well, thank you so much for your time. Like I said, um, if 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 you ever um want to come back on the show, would love to have you. Probably reaching back out to you. And then uh, this will wrap it up for another episode of the Fuel Podcast. Dave, thank you again, sir. Thank you so much, Alex. Good talking to you. Hope you you have a great weekend. You too, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining another episode of the Fuel Podcast. Always be sure to like, follow, or subscribe to be notified when new episodes are being dropped. And click the link below to review any of the show notes for additional information. Or you can email the Fuel Podcast with the link as we encourage any feedback or any questions or comments from our listeners. Until next time, I'm your host, Alex Keyes, with the Fuel Podcast for fixing underperformance and evolving leadership.